Our Father, we bow together your body, believers, in Jesus. Because of the teaching of the disciples, we've been discipled. And we get to love you in a way like you've loved us. And yet we're so imperfect. Father, I pray that as we open up um, a scripture this morning that was shared with us down through the centuries by the best friend of Jesus when he walked this planet. I pray that, um, for one thing, I pray that I could be forgettable. And I'll, I'll tell stories that relate to me, but let me be forgettable. And let Jesus be memorable. And if it is of you, let your Holy Spirit empower it. And all that you do not need us to know, just wipe it away. <laughs> just wipe it away. But let your Holy Spirit move among us and bless us as Jesus is the one that we're here to praise and to magnify. Thank you. In the name of Jesus, amen. So I came in this morning and, and Tim met me. And I told him I'm going to put him on the spot for this. But he said, so you're, you're preaching and I'm going to fall asleep. I'm going to be watching you. And I, I didn't tell you this, but one thing I say to audiences, if you must sleep, don't snore. Because it would wake up the person next to you. Okay? But I'm going to do something dangerous as we start. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes, okay, but Tim, I'm watching, but I want to ask you to close your eyes and imagine, imagine, imagine a world with no language barriers, Whew. from the Tower of Babel, and now we wrestle with all that we have with these languages. And the reversal of that on the day of Pentecost. And yes, we get a glimpse of heaven by the diversity among us. But the still languages. <laughs> I want heaven and I want, the, I want the ability to commune and communicate. But imagine a world with no language barriers. Imagine a world at peace. What would that look like? Can we even fathom a world at peace? Nations lifting up nations. People lifting up people. Families lifting up families. Other than themselves. Imagine a world in which the love of God flowed wild and free. Can we imagine? Now open your eyes, please. Please open your eyes. But keep imagining. There are some great things that we get to ponder as believers in Jesus. 
And I'll remind you of some of these. There's that, what we call the Great Commission, the going, the teaching, well, the discipling, the baptizing, the teaching. There's what we call, and Jesus called it, the greatest command to love God with all of our being and love our neighbor as ourselves. How are you doing with that one? (laughs) There's what Jesus called great faith on a couple of occasions. And and it's not just me saying this, but Jesus experienced great faith with some that were not Jewish folk. It was a centurion that said, I'm not worthy for you to come under my roof, but if you say the word, I know it'll happen. And Jesus said, that's faith. That's great faith. That acknowledgement of the power of God coupled with absolute humility. And the Syrophoenician woman, when Jesus said, should I take the the children's food and, and give it to the dogs? And she said, but even the dogs get some of the scraps from the table. And he said, that's great faith. Your child is healed. That humility coupled with the knowledge that God can do whatever he wants. Incredible faith. There's what Jesus calls a great person. Because often the disciples would be fussing about who's the greatest among us. He, I mean, he would be telling them, I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm going to die. I'm going to be buried. I'm going to be resurrected. And they're sitting there along the way fussing about who can sit where in the kingdom. And who's the greatest? And he says, the greatest is going to be your servant. The greatest. And there's this great truth. I know there's the great truth that there's a God. I know there's a God. But I believe an even greater truth is that that God has loved us incredibly well. And gave everything for us. And then here's this great prayer that I want to focus on this morning. It's in John chapter 17. It's in the upper room. It's, it's shared with us by this best friend of Jesus, the Apostle John. The other gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, had already written their works. But late in the first century, John writes, he's still alive. And they hadn't touched as much on this. They hadn't touched as much on the upper room. But boy, John hit it. And it's this prayer of Jesus in the upper room. And I call it, to me, perhaps the greatest prayer of all time. But you would have to look at the Garden of Gethsemane and him saying, Not my will, but thine be done. That's an incredible prayer. And the prayer on the cross where he looks at those that are crucifying him and says, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. That's a great prayer. But this one... In the upper room. John spends five pages on the upper room. The other disciples, the ones that wrote, uh, Matthew, again, Mark, Luke, as they look at the upper room, they give us about a page worth in our Bible, at least in the typical Bible, they give us about a page worth. John, even though at the end of it he said, if Jesus, if all the things that he did and said were written, the, the world could not contain the whole, but he takes five pages and talks just about 
these few hours in the upper room right before Jesus is arrested and tried and crucified and buried and resurrected for our sins. Right before they're in the upper room and he takes five pages and, and he washes some stinky feet and he broke bread even with Judas and drank the wine even with Judas. He told Peter that Peter would deny him three times that night before the rooster crowed twice. He promised the Holy Spirit. He told them that things are going to get tough. Now things will get better. There is a heaven, yeah, but things are going to get tough. And he told them God protects them, but, but it's going to be tough. And then he described the powerful and much needed work of the Holy Spirit. The paraclete in the Greek. The comforter, it might be translated. The one who comes along beside us. The counselor. The one who's within us. And, and the work and the much needed essence and presence of the Holy Spirit. He's right there uh, describing that for them. And then he prayed for himself. That he would glorify the Father and the Father would glorify him with the glory that he had before. Before the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And he prayed for the disciples. He's lost one. Judas had left the room. But let's keep the others. And let them be one. And then you know what? He prayed for you. He prayed for me. He prayed, he said, not only for them, but for all who would believe on me through their teaching. I don't know who taught you the gospel. And I don't know who taught them the gospel. And I don't know who taught them the gospel or them the gospel. But eventually it goes back to the disciples that Jesus prayed for. And then prayed that all that would, would hear about this through their teaching. That all that would believe and come to Jesus would be one. This is out of my uh, English version for the deaf. That I love so much. Let's look at this. I pray... For these men. But I'm also praying for all people that will believe in me because of the teaching of these men. Father, I pray that all people that believe in me can be one. You are in me and I am in you. I pray that these people can also be one in us. This, this beautiful move of, of Jesus and God and the Holy Spirit. And, and uh, in, in the beginning was the Word. And John had started it that way. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God and was God. And the same was in the beginning with God. And the Word became flesh and lived among us. Chapter 1 verse 14. But there's this thing happening in God where we see His perfect community. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Did you realize that in this holy community of God that he didn't need to create us to have love? God is love. And from all time, he has been love. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in perfect communion. But the word became flesh 
and lived among us. And, and John is reminding us of the prayer of Jesus when he says, God, you remember? Oh, our oneness, you are in me, I am in you. Let them be in me as, and you be in them. And there's this incredible power move of God to come and invite us into his fellowship and into his communion. I have given these people the glory that you gave me. I gave them this glory so that they can be one, the same as you and I are one. I will be in them and you will be in me. So they will be completely one. Then the world will know that you've sent me. And the world will know that you love these people the same as you loved me. Does God love Jesus? Have you ever thought about that? The Father loves the Son. And Jesus says, oh, just like you love me and I love you, let them love each other. And the world can see it and know that you love me and we love each other. It's an incredible move of God to bind us together. So look what this does. He's praying that we could be one. So the world will believe that, Jesus, that, that God sent Jesus, that we can be completely one, so the world will know that God loves us like he loves Jesus. That's a prayer. That's a prayer. So I'd like us to think about that today, and I'll share some personal uh, stories along that line and here's a friend of mine, Jasper Pinkerton. He's standing by another friend of mine, Jane Tilkey. She's gone on to meet the Lord. Jasper lives on a farm in Nashville, Tennessee, and it's the farm where he was born. And he's 90 years old and still kicking. I might get him over to Madrid. I'll let you know. <laughs> but he came with me on a visit. This is actually a picture taken in Arizona in a building where, where Ann and I had worked to plant a church some years before. And Jane, uh, Jane Tilke, uh, was one of my prayer warriors. And she had this on her card, Jesus loves you, but I'm his favorite. And she, she just had it in jest, in jest. But you could tell <laughs> she had a feeling and she loved talking to God. And so we... Uh, Ann and I, the Lord had put something on our heart. We had typically worked with, with large churches. But there was a seed planted that we should plant a church. And after some watering and cultivation and a lot of prayer and fasting, we decided to leave a very comfortable situation in Nashville and go to the metropolis of Phoenix, Arizona, and plant a church in the northern tip where there was a new city going in overnight. And so we went, and the Lord did things. He surprised us and did. There, was, there, was, uh, there were things that happened. Yeah, we made mistakes. We're goofballs. You know, I, I, can, I could tell you big mistakes that I made in the process, but, but God blessed us and people came, came to know Jesus, came to love God. And we had decided early on that if we're going to try to reach our community of about 30,000 homes where people had almost moved in overnight, 
that maybe it would be a good idea if we prayed for all of them by name. So I found out that we could purchase the names and addresses of everybody in the city. And we divvied it up among ourselves. And Jane Tilkey took 800. She took 800 people to pray for. Now listen. We were going to pray every day for 40 days for these people. And then at the, end of the, at the end of the 40 days, we're going to send them a postcard saying, I prayed for you, and here's what I prayed for you and your family. And we didn't put any contact information. It was not an ad piece. It, we did tell them the name of the church, Canyon. But we didn't tell them how to reach us at all because we didn't want them to think we're just advertised. We're just, I want you to know you've been prayed for. And there were things that happened. Some came to our church and became part of our church and later received a card. Oh, somebody was praying for me. And some found ways on social media to thank us for praying for them and, and they could say things that had happened in their family during the 40 days. And a couple of people found my phone number and uh, raked me over the coals with the, What do you mean? You think I need your prayers? And I apologized. We didn't mean it as an insult. And I, you know, kind of smoothed it out. And then we kept praying for them. <laughs> because people can't stop you from praying for them. And then it was some years later, Ann and I, I was teaching at Lipscomb University. This church was, was able, by the grace of God, to fly on its own, you might say. And we went back to Nashville and I'm teaching at the university there. And we're part of a church called Ethos that had exploded with growth to multiple thousands. And Dave Clayton, the lead pastor there, a good friend of mine. And I went to him one day after worship. And I said, and I had been resisting this for a year. But I said, Dave, did you know you could get everybody's name and address that lives in the city of Nashville. And I walked away. And he called me two weeks later and says, why'd you tell me that? He said, something exploded in my mind when you said that. And he gathered 40 pastors from a variety of denominations, and I got to be a part of this. And he said, we're going to pray for the city of Nashville. And, and it brought 20, uh, 200 churches together, their members, not necessarily in the same place, but they volunteered to pray for the city. And then the next year, 300 gathered together, praying for our neighbors. They're involved in the third year right now, and he tells me it's now something that's going to, uh, to other cities and to, to other states and to other maybe countries, I don't know. But he's kind of coaching other people in this. And I almost didn't even tell him about it. But it was just this little seed of idea. And the thing that I love about it is that God can use those sorts of things to bring oneness. To bring oneness. Because who can argue with praying together? <laughs> <laughs> and okay have you ever seen this <coughs> in your family 
And, okay. One thing that really bugs parents is when the kids don't get along. I mean, it not just bugs them. It, it aches their hearts. And you call God the Father. And all the way through history, from Cain and Abel, look at the, look at the children of Jacob. Look at them selling Joseph as a slave. How did that ache God? Look at the children of David. And how, how they treated each other. How did that ache the father? Look at the disciples. On, on, the, on the road, they're really going to Jerusalem where Jesus is going to die and be buried and be raised. And they can barely get along. God wants something special to happen. So... I want us to, as we think about the heart of Christ, I want us to remind ourselves to pray like Jesus. I'd like to ask you in your life to pray for the unity of the church, to pray for the, the unity of uh, Emmanuel Baptist Church, and pray for the, the global church. Pray for all of those who believe in Jesus. And I like to challenge myself to repent of drawing man-made lines that divide. Because we, we tend to be, I tend to be good at this. Because if, if they agree with me, hey, all is well. But if we have some difference, well, mm, mm, there's the line. But I want to remind you that some of the lines may not have been questions that the early church was asking. So I'm saying, and I'm not saying that anything goes here, but I'm saying if it's a man-made line, let's repent of that and come together. There was this uh, moment when Billy Graham came into Nashville, and I got to be on a little bit of a, I, and again, I was no big part of this, I'll say up front, but I got to be a part of a group that was inviting churches to come and participate in this. An incredible thing. And to me, one of the best things that happened was that after it was over, there were groups, clusters of people, varieties of people that continued to meet together. So in Nashville, we called it uh, the Operation Andrew Group. It was made up of, of different groups, different people that just would work together on things and pray together. And in Franklin, down where Ann and I lived, we called it the Empty Hands Fellowship. And we had about 80 men. It was a men's group. And just to be honest, that's what it was. It started as a men's group. But it was different pastors and lay leaders in different churches. And we would come together for prayer. And it was coming out of one of those where I had announced that Ann and I were leaving Franklin and going to plant a church in Arizona. And Scott Rowley of a Presbyterian church came to me and said, are you sure you're finished here? I said, no. There's more I can do here, but I'm being called there right now. And he tried to persuade me. And when I wouldn't be persuaded... 
I remember him putting his arm on my shoulder and saying, when you go, do something for the Navajo. And there's something, uh, there's a a Navajo nation within uh, the United States of America. If you go out into Arizona, there's there's a big block of land there that's called the Navajo Nation. And it's like a third world country within our borders. And he said, do something for the Navajo. And I said, Scott, I'm going into Phoenix and the people moving into this city, they, they look an awful lot like me. They talk like me. They, they pretty much do like me. And he said, well, just if you can. I said, okay. And we got out there. And about a month later, I got a call. Is this Tom Riley? I heard you were back in Arizona. This is... This is Matilda. Do you remember me? And she had been a child. And her mom had brought the whole family across to this church that I had been serving there. And we, I'd taught them. She was, I was a little child. We moved up to the reservation. And I have been thinking and thinking. And I love Jesus. I love Jesus. I'm, I'm, I'm a follower of Jesus. I, I, I want to be baptized. If I make a trip into Phoenix, can you find some water? I said, I can find water. (laughs) And about every six months or so, she would call me and say, can you find some water? I've got some others. I can find water. And so we used swimming pools and hot tubs and lakes and things. And I was laser focused on this city at the north end of Phoenix. And then God... Uh, accident, well, nothing's an accident for him, but without me even doing anything, another church was planted in a little town up on the reservation. And, I mean, I went up one time. In eight years, I went up one time. I'm sad to say. One time. And went into a little, little hut where 11 people lived. And they served me a hamburger out under a carob tree with flies everywhere. And I asked the children their names, and one of them was named Becha, which means no room. And I said, why? And they said, well, because when he was born, there was no room in the hospital. They wrapped him in a blanket and put him on the floor. And he's Becha. And they said, when he was one year old, we made him a birthday cake. And we served the cake to everybody, and then we realized that Becha did not get a piece of the cake. He's Becha. And they overlooked him. And he was so excited to go to school for the first time, to go to school, and he goes into his room, and all the desks are full. And there's not a desk. And they just kind of chuckled, it's Becha. So whenever we would send Bibles up or blankets in the winter or whatever we would do to bless them, I would always send a little note with an envelope and a little extra money, and this is for Becha. And later I found out that that embarrassed him, and he would always go out and buy something that he could share with everybody because it wasn't just for Becha. 
and he would share. It, it might even be just some bags of, bags of potato chips, and he would just share it with everybody. But some things happened, and I, and I learned that God moves in a mysterious way if we allow him to help break down any barriers. That's an old pickup truck that was cut off. And I went to Walmart and bought a tarp and paid $5 for a tank of water to be brought. And I'm telling you, after we had some baptisms, uh, we had some, I ordered some pizza, and we were in the Hogan eating pizza, and I heard the kids out swimming in that thing. And they were having a blast. And then they later used it to water plants and water the livestock. That was the best $5 I've ever spent, maybe. Refuse to caricature others and instead see God's activity in them. And I've got to tell you this, that my, my heritage comes from, okay, you've heard of Asbury in Kentucky. Not too far from there is a place that we call Cane Ridge. And a couple of hundred years ago, there were what we call the Cane Ridge Revivals. And it was the gathering of, of Baptist, Methodist, Presbyterians, others that were saying, hey, let's just stand with God and try to knock down the names. <clears throat> and a movement came out of that. And so I'm officially Church of Christ or Christian Church of Christ, Disciples of Christ. But it came from a revival that was, was seeking unity. And I regret to say that it became very, decisive, very divisive. And so if you hear the joke of uh, uh, when the person was escorted into heaven and uh, uh, St. Peter's walking around to different rooms, oh, here's the, here's the Baptist and they're having a potluck and here's this group and they're doing this and here's that group and they're doing And <laughs> here's the Church of Christ. They think they're the only ones here. <laughs> And it's sad. But, but it was true. Because of man-made barriers. And I'm, this is a time for me of confession. To say, um, God has uh, changed me. To see, don't caricature others. See Good in them. Vultures look for something to pick at. This is kind of corny. Robins look for something to sing about. Why can't we look? You know, if I'm going to do that with you, okay, and say, hey, man, that's, that's some great worship. And, and anytime I say it to any of our worship, praise God. Praise God. But if I can do that with individuals, maybe I could do that about churches or people that may disagree with me where I see, you know, that's, that's very fascinating. I wonder how God is using that and just look for good in people around us. And so I saw this. We've heard, heard a lot about Asbury and a revival. It sparked something even at Baylor and there are others. Uh, and everything's not perfect in these college campuses but I'm just saying there are things to sing about. There are good things to look for. This was a paper that they did at Baylor 
uh, about a prayer day that they had and they're calling for humility and hunger and helpfulness and holiness. But I'd like us to have two more points and we've considered this a little bit already and then there'll be a fifth, fifth one. But ponder what the Bible says about our going and about our loving, about our humbly believing, about tasting God's radical love, and about the heart of Jesus for unity. And this is what I mentioned earlier. And a lot of times, I've got a pointer. A lot of times we focus right here on the going and discipling and baptizing and teaching. But Jesus is right here as he closes things out. And he's praying for the oneness of all believers. Later, after the resurrection, he'll tell them, do this. But, but I, I really am convicted that we, we've got to be all struck by God and have a, a gospel community. And then suddenly, there's the power to do this. But if we get the cart before the horse... If I'm saying, I've got to go teach everybody to love God when that's missing. See, so loving God, loving each other, being that community. And one final thing, take baby steps toward unity. It kind of blows my mind to think, how do you do this? It just, uh, how do you do it? I don't know. I don't know. But Jesus prayed about it. So take baby steps for that. I, I took a baby step one time when I was at, uh, having prayer in my office in Phoenix and I walked across the street. There was something that was tugging me and I walked across the street to meet the pastor next door. And we went to lunch and he planted a seed and said, you know, someday you ought to plant a church. Ten, day, ten years later, that happened. In another city, in another prayer moment, another urge, and I w walked across two streets to meet a pastor and ended up getting two for one because his associate pastor was in there too. And he said, whoa, you're Tom Riley? We, we saw that you had arrived in town. We were praying for you this morning. And they became good friends of mine. And one of them became my church planting coach and the other one put his arm around me one day and said do something for the Navajo would you pray with me Father we pray and we praise you that the disciples brought the word and that we get to hear the word and we get to learn about your extravagant love. We pray that uh, as Jesus prayed for us, that we can take that prayer seriously and try to understand it and try to, try to even imagine it. How do we do it? I think maybe with baby steps. But we pray that we could be one so that the world will believe that you sent Jesus. Could we be completely one so that the world will know that you love us like you love Jesus? Thank you.
In the name of Christ, amen.